Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Dial 678-ESOG now for a solution to your foundation and waterproofing problems. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. So coming up in a couple of minutes, I'm going to do something that I perhaps don't typically do which is I'm going to give Georgia some bulletin board material. It seems like lately a lot of folks are giving UGA bulletin board material. We had Colin Coward on the show yesterday. We've had all kinds of ESPN talking heads, things like that. There has been some bulletin board material out there coming in the direction of Georgia, doubting from the upcoming season, touting someone else, whatever else. So that seems like it's a very fashionable in vogue thing to do. So I'm going to take my turn to do some of that here in just a little bit there as well. Now, I mean this sincerely, but not maliciously. If you get my point, I'm not intentionally trying to troll them or troll you or anything else. I just want to point out what I do believe is a is a real concern. And I don't mean real in terms of, oh, gosh, this is going to be terrible. I mean, it's concern. It's a real concern from the standpoint that it actually truly really exists. And it is a legitimate question worth answering from the up for the upcoming year. When I say real concern, that's what I mean. Not, oh, this is a real concern, the way that your you know parents would have said to you when you were growing up when you did something wrong. No, I mean real from the standpoint of, I don't think this is fake. I don't think this is contrived. I do think this is genuine enough that it's probably worth us having a conversation over. So we'll do that here coming up in just a little bit. Prior to that... The interesting dynamic that played out for Georgia for a while, and you know this, was the attempt to get to the level of Alabama and finally take down the Crimson Tide. We kind of understand this in life, right? If you grew up playing video games, it's like there's always the boss at the end of the level, right? You're trying to get to Bowser's Castle. You're trying to do all of it, whatever that is. You know, you're trying to beat the bad guy. You know, that's just kind of the story we tell ourselves. There's always some sort of adversity, some sort of uh, some sort of nemesis standing the way, and along the way towards achieving goals and doing stuff like that, you're trying to get to that level and finally trying to knock off that big bad boss that sort of stood in your way in the past. And for Georgia, for quite some time, that was Alabama. That's one of the things that made the 2021 season so special. It's because that national championship win came against the Alabama Crimson Tide. Georgia fans still have good memories of that even though Georgia went on to win the national championship again in 2022, there's still that element of what happened in 2021 in Indianapolis was so sweet because of who it was that you beat to get there. It was a team that you legitimately struggled against, and a lot of folks, fans, media types, whatever else, had kind of held that over your head as Georgia tried to rise up. And in retrospect, it's miraculously quick how uh, rapid Kirby Smart built Georgia to a national championship program. But until they got over the hump on that, you know, Nick Saban, Alabama, was sort of held up as the standard bearer and also kind of used as a cudgel against Georgia to say, you may think you're hot, you may think you're something, but you're not Alabama yet. Well, we know that Georgia eventually toppled the Crimson Tide, and we know that last year when Georgia won the national championship again, Alabama was nowhere to be found. They lost twice in the regular season, and we're kind of on hold right now with the upcoming season pending and upcoming to determine has Alabama sort of slipped off its perch and are they no longer a relevant measuring stick for UGA? We simply don't know yet. Last year's result would suggest that might be taking place. We're waiting for further information this year to decide once and for all. So while that's, I guess, a conversation yet to be completed, there is, I believe, some evidence coming out of Tuscaloosa here that there's a certain degree of desperation trying to figure out what the... I guess the vibe or the identity or, you know, the DNA, the personality of Alabama is going to be in this kind of new world it lives in, which is for right now, and this is not a dispute, for right now, Georgia is the top dog in college football. They've won the last two national championships. That is no longer Alabama. There are a lot of Alabama players who came to Alabama because of the prestige of, hey, we're the unquestioned top program in college football. Well, now that's not even true. It's not even a question. Georgia's the top program in college football, and Alabama is in the position now of trying to get back there or trying to get to that level to try to sort of reclaim something that it has lost over the course of the last couple of years. And I do think you see some evidence of a little bit of desperation in the Crimson Tide in terms of exactly what they need to do to kind of get to that point. I think, I think you see some of that here right now. In fact, what I think you see is 
an Alabama program that was quite content for quite a long time to kind of sort of cast a new vision for college football, one in which the passing game and quarterbacks throwing to wide receivers and trying to score uh, 50, 60 points a game if you could, that that was the hallmark that sort of made Alabama, Alabama, a far cry from the old days of Nick Saban. You've heard me talk about this plenty of times, a far cry from the old days of Nick Saban. The new version of Alabama kind of became, hey, we're going to have a number one overall draft pick like uh, Bryce Young or a first round pick like a Mac Jones or Tua Tunga Vailoa. We're going to try to score as many points as we can. And we're not going to maybe, maybe be quite as physical as we used to be, but we're going to be a lot more explosive. And it sort of seemed like that worked a little bit, certainly in a pandemic year when very few teams were playing a high level of defense. Defense weren't able to practice together nearly as much as they normally would. Obviously, that worked really well. And in terms of regular season success in 2018, if for the most part 2019, you sort of saw that national championship success hasn't quite worked out so well. In fact, Bryce Young finished his career as an Alabama starting quarterback without having won a national championship. And so all of a sudden, Alabama kind of left to go back to the drawing board to say, are we sure our blueprint still works? This thing that we committed ourselves to, scored as many points we can, uh, first-round draft pick quarterbacks throwing to, in some cases, Heisman Trophy winning wide receivers. Are we sure this is what we need to do here right now? And there's some evidence to suggest coming out of Tuscaloosa that perhaps they're looking to their east and they see what Georgia has done in Athens the last couple of years. And perhaps there's this thought around Tuscaloosa of, you know what? Maybe we need to be a little bit more like Georgia. Hey, you know, maybe some of the stuff that Georgia's been doing these last couple of years, the toughness, the physicality, the commitment to lines of scrimmage, all, all that kind of stuff. Maybe we need to kind of get back to that at Alabama. I thought it was very interesting to hear Tyler Booker, who I think of as a terrific offensive lineman. And the honest truth here is I like kind of, you know, jabbing Alabama when I can, you know, here and there. But the honest truth is I do think Alabama has a really good offensive line here this year. They may be, you know, behind, uh, uh, you know, Georgia, perhaps this Michigan team we keep hearing a whole lot about. You know, the Alabama offensive line may be right there in that conversation, one of the overall strengths of this team. So while I'll kind of joke and be sarcastic about a lot of things related to the Crimson Tide, I won't do that about the Alabama offensive line. I do think that's probably a pretty good uh, group. And Tyler Booker, one of the members of that group, was talking to the media here. And boy, easy to listen in on what Booker says here and easy to kind of get the notion that Alabama has seen what has worked for Georgia, and it seems like after a whole lot of years where they were fairly committed to a finesse version of football, Alabama seems to be kind of going back the other direction now of maybe we ought to be a little bit more like what has worked for Georgia these last couple of years. Listen to an Alabama offensive lineman named Tyler Booker and judge for yourself if that's true. Take a listen to this. We want to, we want to make people quit this year, and there's no better way to do with that rather than to run the ball you know so we're we're gonna run the ball this year we're gonna pass the ball as well because we have a lot of talented guys at receiver we have a lot of guys that can throw the ball very well so just having that run first mentality as an offensive line that that just gets us going because we want to make people quit how many times on this show have I played the clip for you I'm not going to play it again now because I played it so much in the past of Nick Saban saying you're not going to win anything that way running the ball playing defense the kinds of things that that uh, Alabama used to be all about, that Nick Saban used to be all about prior to coming to Alabama as well. Uh, that's kind of the thing that made Saban Saban. But at one point in time, he's strutting around, you know, showing that an old dog can learn new tricks. And he was saying, you're not going to do it. You're not going to win anything that way. Well, it seems like Alabama may be actually reverting back here. If you take Tyler Booker at face value saying, we want to make people quit. We want to be tougher. We want to be more physical at the point of attack at the line of scrimmage. We want to be kind of a run-first team, he says. Now, maybe that's just Booker as an offensive lineman casting that wish for the rest of his offense, but we've also heard some rumblings and grumblings coming out of Tuscaloosa that Booker may not be the only one who believes that. After all, there is no Bryce Young walking through that door. Uh, the Alabama quarterback competition right now would appear to be between a guy, Tyler uh, uh, Buckner, uh, that was at Notre Dame, who would have likely been the third-string quarterback with the Fighting Irish, Jalen Milrow, who we saw last year, averages grits. And Ty Simpson, who thus far has shown no evidence of living up to anywhere near the accolades he had coming in as a recruit. So some of this pivot on the part of Alabama might be out of necessity because they don't have what has made Alabama, Alabama. You know, in the past, it's been, well, if our wide receivers hadn't been hurt, we could have done whatever else. All of a sudden now, that level of receiver, healthy or not, just does not seem to exist on this Alabama program, we don't think. And they certainly don't have a quarterback the caliber of a Bryce Young to throw to them. So all of a sudden, now they're like, hey, maybe we ought to go back to run the ball again. 
being physically tough has certainly seemed to help Georgia. Maybe we ought to try to do some of that again. Can we just sort of pivot back in that direction? Now, the problem is the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. And when you want to kind of instill toughness into your team, that is not an instantaneous decision that you make. And anyone who's ever tried to find a little more toughness and grit in their own life can tell you that, that it's not one of those things that you put on like a brand new suit. You just don't get to flip a switch and magically be uh, tough after embracing a fairly large degree of finesse football now for a, for a good number of years so we'll see if that works out for Alabama frankly that's their problem to solve but what's ironic is and make sure you hear what I'm saying here and don't hear what I'm not saying what's ironic is as Alabama seems to be pivoting back in the direction of Georgia a team that has used physical toughness at the line of scrimmage in particular uh, as a way of winning the last two national championships there is some evidence that the Georgia situation might be evolving here a little bit too I'm going to tell you this right now I don't have time to play all this for you I think you need to go to the Dog Nation YouTube page. I think you need to watch, if you can, you have time, and I hope you will make time for this, the full interviews that both Ladd McConkey and Arian Smith gave near the end of last week as they kind of talked about their overall mindset around Georgia football here right now. Y'all, I am over the moon excited about what the Georgia wide receiving core can be. Now, I'm not telling you here that all of a sudden that, that Georgia's going to try to be what Alabama was because, frankly, that didn't work out for Alabama as well as they think it did. It just didn't. The results speak for themselves there on that. They were never as successful becoming a, a finesse football team as I believe they think they were. The end-of-year results of the last five years sort of speak to that compared to any previous five-year period during the Nick Saban era at Alabama. So I'm not telling you that Georgia's about to be Alabama and kind of be a wide receiver-led team because that doesn't really lead you to national championships as much as they sort of think that it does or, or, or maybe even think that it did. I think they have a little bit of a revisionist history about some of that. But I do believe this Georgia team this year is going to have wide receivers contribute to the overall team culture in a way that we just don't typically see around these dogs too much I really like this group not just because of what I think they can do on the field probably the best crop of uh, of experienced productive talent to begin a season I believe that Georgia's probably ever had but I like the way in which they're kind of contributing to the overall story here around Georgia too in other words these are really good Georgia wide receivers but they are if you get my drift Georgia wide receivers they are wide receivers that play football like Georgia does. They are wide receivers who are not going to just be glitz and glamour and 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 pizzazz and razzle dazzle and all that other kind of stuff. Uh, they're going to be they're going to be Georgia players who bring a level of toughness to the wide receiver position. I mean this both mentally and physically. I want to highlight one guy in particular here, and that's Arian Smith. Now, y'all know the story on Arian Smith. This is a guy who. I mean, if you want to if you want to make a bet on a player that's probably not getting a lot of national attention right now, who could be a household name by the end of the year, I believe Arian Smith might be a pretty good bet for you in that direction. But he's also one of those guys that the reason why he doesn't get a ton of national attention because he has been hurt. You know, he has been you know kind of fighting to be on a football field for a full season and he'll be the first to acknowledge that's a fight that's still ongoing for him right now that he actually hasn't done it yet but he's really committed to doing so but in talking about all of that I think he also kind of helped speak to one of the larger challenges for Georgia this year from a maybe a perception and a team chemistry standpoint of how do you stay motivated how do you stay focused to go for three and 23 how do you bring home another national championship knowing that, that all this team has done the last couple of years is collect trophies and collect accolades and it's Arian Smith in particular in his own personal story here that may generate as much of that as anyone's capable of for Georgia here right now so it's just sort of weirdly ironic here at a time in which Alabama seems to be pivoting away from wide receivers Georgia seems to be making wide receivers a larger part of the overall success formula for this team here this year. I think it's interesting. If you don't believe me, listen to Arian Smith, I think, casting a really appropriate vision for how Georgia stays motivated for the upcoming year. Arian using his own backstory as a way of doing that. Take a listen to this. You can't set a goal that far, like, far ahead. We try to stay, like, what's important now? Because we can't win no national championship right now. We got to still practice and build a foundation for the season, like, throughout fall camp to get to where we want to be. As a guy who's had to overcome so many injuries, how is that? How has the process of doing that helped you become better and be the player and person that you're trying to be going forward into the season? Hunger. I'm hungry. I still ain't played, even though what I did in the past don't mean not, like mean nothing to me right now. Like I'm still trying to get ready for this season, like and show what I can do this season. Last, what I did last year don't really mean nothing. So just the hunger, I'll say, because I haven't played much.
You love that word? Hungry. Georgia has a wide receiver named Darian Smith, who's a former elite recruit, who's a blazing you know, track star, who may be a very attractive NFL draft pick at some point in time. But he's not, if you'll pardon this phrase, the stereotypical wide receiver. No, he's hungry. He's a Georgia wide receiver that has the Georgia mindset at the wide receiver position. He's hungry. I think that's really cool because at a time in which Alabama is trying to pivot back and be more like Georgia, find that toughness along the lines of scrimmage that maybe it's been lacking the last couple of years, Georgia may be saying, we've still got the toughness, but now we've got the wide receivers too. All of a sudden, Georgia's taking the edge that it's had in college football the last couple of years and perhaps saying, and now we're adding to that healthy wide receivers like Arian Smith who bring the hunger to show what they're capable of doing for a full season. This is a really fun time to be a Georgia fan. The typical contenders for college football supremacy, they are in a tough spot right now. They are forced to answer, how do we match what Georgia's doing? Alabama's making its desperate attempt to do that, but as Alabama's working to get where Georgia is, Georgia's working to go where it's never been before. Let me tell you, that is a very good thing. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Hello to you, and thank you for being with us. No matter how you get to us today, live on video, 10 a.m., Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch. Of course, we start earlier than that uh, on the uh, Dog Nation homepage, the Dog Nation app, 945 for our first and 15. Of course, every other platform there as well, podcast, radio, everything else. We're just happy to have you with us for that. And a big thanks to our friends at Engineered Solutions of Georgia who make it all possible. And not only is ESOG a, a good friend of ours, they're also proud partners of UGA there as well. So I can tell you, and I'm sure George would say the same thing, but I can tell you, I sincerely appreciate uh, your support of Engineered Solutions of Georgia because the degree to which they've supported us there as well. Great partnerships would make the business thrive. And Dog Nation Daily, of course, is a business. We exist to kind of connect you with companies that we think can do good work by them. And we believe that is true for Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Absolutely, that's the case. If you find yourself dealing with a foundation or a waterproofing issue, we know they do good work for you because we have seen evidence of that from the people in our audience who have been served by engineered solutions of georgia there as well people who recognize the signs of a problem water creeping in where it's not supposed to be basement crawl space garage things like that cracks any kind of like sheetrock crack or you know cracks in the brick on the outside of the house things like that y'all that can be a sign of something but the good news is it may not be a sign of anything all that serious i mean sometimes like I, i'm an idiot so everything looks serious to me but Engineered Solutions of Georgia got an entire team of engineers on staff. They're the only people in our marketplace that have that level of a resource ready to sort of go to work for you if need be so they can tell you what I can't. Well, this crack is a big deal, but that one's not. This water intrusion is the sort of sign of a larger problem. This is more one of those things where little bit of caulk or whatever else get it all taken care of i mean like whatever the thing is they can just sort of tell you that but if it's a more substantial problem than the simple fix can can uh, solve all the more reason to have as i said before the unparalleled resources that engineered solutions of georgia can provide for you so i want you to reach out and give them a call very easy number to remember 678-ESOG now that's 678-ESOG now and keep in mind engineered solutions of georgia also offers you a fully transferable triple protection warranty on materials installation and design so they're going to give you great peace of mind for the work they're doing for you and i want you to reach out to them proud partners of uga long time loyal friends of ours here on dog nation daily we just really appreciate engineered solutions of georgia not just what they do for us but what we know they can do for you all right in a couple of minutes we'll announce the latest of our kroger celebrating teachers award winners that's going to be a lot of fun we'll get connor riley here coming up in a minute there as well but prior to that i want to go around the doghouse and today i want to give georgia a little bit of bulletin board material and listen i i say that kind of half kiddingly but the topic itself i think is i mean this seriously because and kind of looking at some of the stuff that Kirby Smart said when he kind of kicked off fall camp last week and kind of looking at some big picture stuff around UGA, I do think there is a real question that Georgia needs to answer. And I do think allowing them to go out in the field and prove this is probably an appropriate thing to be able to do. In other words, I like kind of defending Georgia when idiots are talking up Michigan or idiots are talking up Ohio State or you know whatever else kind of gets chatter this time of year. I like defending Georgia and all that kind of stuff, but in this conversation among Georgia fans, I think it's sort of fair for us to say, hey, 
Georgia probably does have one or two things to prove in terms of how this 2023 team is going to function uh, compared to the last two national championship teams. And even if we think the answer will eventually be a positive and affirmative one, we still sort of need to see it. And I think one area in which that's true is the transition and offensive coordinator from Mike Bobo, from Todd Munkin now to Mike Bobo. And I would say, generally speaking, I have been more pro-Bobo than some of you have been. Mike Bobo has always been kind of a lightning rod for conversation, things like that. And I think the actual track record of Bobo is probably better than sometimes some of y'all have wanted to give it credit for. Reasonable people can disagree, and this is what we do. We argue about college football even amongst ourselves here sometimes. So that's and there's no more, I guess, controversial position on any football team typically than the offensive play caller. So all of this is just sort of paint by numbers the way that football conversations go. If you've ever listened to any kind of form of sports talk, you've certainly seen that. But I think that overall, Bobo's got the evidence on his side more so than some of you want to give him credit for. But that does not mean he doesn't have big shoes to fill stepping in for Todd Munkin here this year. And that doesn't mean that there won't be a standard that Bobo will need to be held to as Georgia offensive coordinator. And as a way of kind of, I guess, sort of getting this conversation going here, let's go back in time to last week. Kirby Smart asked about the transition from Todd Munkin to uh, Mike Bobo and kind of what all of that is about and from Smart's perspective why he thinks that Georgia is sort of well positioned to make this transition for reasons that go beyond just Bobo's abilities. Let me let you hear a little bit of Kirby Smart on that from last week. I think anytime you lose a coordinator, you could rank it up there with like, okay, is that equal to an assistant coach? Probably not. I mean, you would think losing coordinator is greater than others. I think retaining the rest of the offensive staff and I think Ty would be the first to tell you, you know, once I knew he was leaving and I sat down and had a long meeting with him, he, 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 he reemphasized how good this staff was at doing their job of presenting him ideas. I think a lot of people look at offense coordinators in Ireland and this guy just sits over there and comes up with this stuff himself. Well, they have 15, 20 meetings a week on Monday, Sunday night, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, where each coach gives a presentation of ideas or things they can do offensively, and he gets to sit back and be the decision maker on what's in and what's not. And those ideas really helped him, and he was quick to say, Coach, you're going to be fine no matter who you put in that position. So that's Kirby Smart on that particular topic. It's a fine answer. I think most Georgia fans probably agree with it, but here's where the bulletin board material part comes in. Honesty compels me to admit that Smart has said things similar to this in the past, and he was wrong. And I think you need to keep in mind that as you move into this year in terms of the fact that Todd Munkin's level of achievement as Georgia offensive coordinator is just so much higher than anything Georgia had had offensively since Kirby Smart has been here. And I want to go back in time to when Jim Chaney, who was not necessarily every Georgia fan's cup of tea himself, but when he left after the 2018 season and James Coley was on his way in, some of the same stuff that Smart was just saying there, the idea of, hey, you know, coordinators only one of the offensive coaches and the entire offensive coaching staff works together as a group to kind of function and create an offense that 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 flows well on game day. What Smart just said there, but the transition away from Munkin to Mike Bobo. Kirby Smart also said the same thing in 2019 when this team was transitioning to James Coley as his offensive coordinator. If you don't believe me, let me read this. Now, I'm not going to put this on the screen. I'm just going to read this off the internet. But Smart back in 2019 said, I think anytime you build the infrastructure or program, when people leave, as long as you're not changing that infrastructure, it doesn't create a lot of doubt or anxiety in the players. Doesn't that sound a lot like Kirby Smart saying, hey, our coaching staff remains in place. Munkin may be gone, but our infrastructure is still here. Very similar phrasing. Smart back in 2019 went on to say, certainly from my perspective, very comfortable after being in our system for three years that we've got really good coordinators. James, our, I mean, James Coley, our new offensive coordinator, has been with us a long time. I've known James from graduate assistant days back at LSU. I've got tremendous respect for him. I know the offenses he's worked with in the past, and he's also been a part of ours. He's been a very integral part of that offense. So there's not going to be a lot of change. It'll be more about what our players can do than what our coaches can do. And it's that last phrase that you're going to hear from Kirby Smart kind of coming up again here in a moment, the idea of, hey, our coaching system is in place. We've got the infrastructure. We've got guys who have been here, but it's about the execution. It's about the performance. In fact, let me let you hear a little bit more from Kirby Smart uh, from last week and see if you don't think this sounds an awful like 
uh, a lot like what Smart said before Georgia kind of went to work with James Coley as offensive coordinator in 2019. Take a listen and judge for yourself here on this. You're going to oversee it, make sure they do it right as the leader, and then they're going to do a good job because they have pride in their performance as assistant coaches on offense. And then whoever you put in that position is going to have good players and be able to be successful. So uh, I was very, we were very fortunate to have uh, Todd the time he was here, uh, the growth he allowed us to make, the confidence he exuded with the players, and um, and he, he 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 had a package of offense that he felt confident in that fit the players that he was given. He made the personnel fit his, his scheme. And I don't see that I don't see that changing. You know, obviously the, the quarterback is a major, major part of that. And we had really good quarterback play last year. So uh, a lot of times your offense is predicated off your quarterback play. So how well will our quarterback play? And, and that's the question. So Smart says, hey, a lot of this can be predicated about how the quarterback performs in the offensive system, similar to what he said there in 2019, about more about what the players do than what our coaches do. But I think we have enough evidence around college football to suggest that I'm not quite so sure that's exactly true necessarily, that great systems can make average quarterbacks play very well in much the same fashion an average system can make a great quarterback talent not look all that impressive. Look at, you know uh, – you know, all kinds of quarterbacks around, you know, college football, you can sort of see, I think, some evidence examples of that, that if a great talented quarterback is hampered by a less than stellar system, all of a sudden that great quarterback doesn't look exactly the same way there. So let me make sure I'm very clear about what I'm saying here is that I do believe that Mike Bobo can be a sensational offensive coordinator for Georgia. In fact, I think he was a very good offensive coordinator in his first tour of duty here before becoming a head coach at Colorado State. But I also believe that Todd Munkin cast a very, very big shadow over this program here right now. James Coley, the guy in 2019 we are just talking about a moment ago, you know, Georgia and SEC games that particular season only averaged about 21 points per game. They blew out, you know, uh, Arkansas State and Georgia Tech and Murray State. They put up big numbers in 2019 against less than stellar SEC-level competition, but against SEC-level competition, this team had a hard time scoring points. It's why Coley only lasted one year, and it's why Todd Munkin was brought in. A little bit of a departure from the system, I believe, that Georgia had been running prior to that. And the results from Munkin spoke for themselves almost from the very moment he took the Georgia job. Certainly in the last two national championship seasons, uh, Todd Munkin put big-time fingerprints on both those championship trophies. So I guess this is my version of bulletin board material. On the list of things that Georgia has to prove this year, I think it does need to prove that it can win without Todd Munkin. And I do think it needs to prove that it can function offensively as well this season as it did uh, when Munkin was here. Do I think that Georgia can do that and likely will do that? Yeah, I think the answer to that question is yes. I do believe, as I mentioned off the top of the show, this is likely to be, likely to be a sensational Georgia offense. But just because I'm optimistic about what they can do doesn't make the question any less significant. Todd Munkin was a big part of what Georgia did the last two years. And being just as good without him offensively is going to be a major part of the story here in 2023. We'll make that around the doghouse here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia Today. And, of course, before uh, we move on and talk to Connor Riley, I also want to go ahead and give out some success, uh, congratulations, I should say, to our latest Kroger Celebrating Outstanding Teachers winner. We're going to announce one of these winners each and every day this week. And our winner today is Christina Hood, who was nominated by uh, – uh, actually, Josh Hood is the winner, nominated by his wife, Christina Hood. So Josh Hood is our winner. Christina Hood, Josh's wife, is the uh, nominator here. So congratulations to uh, – uh, uh, you know, I'm sorry, no – so uh, Josh Hood nominated his wife, Christina Hood. So I've read this wrong. I apologize. Christina Hood is the winner. Josh Hood was the nominator here after four tries. Finally get that right. So Christina Hood's a fourth grade teacher at East Fannin Elementary School in Fannin County, Georgia, way up there in the beautiful North Georgia mountains. Works harder than anyone I've ever seen to be a great teacher and mentor to her students. She works long, unpaid hours at home to be ready for the class. She cares about her students and wants the best for them. She's a great mom and wife. So that's one of the things I know, having, you know, grown up around teachers and, you know, been around the school system for a long time is, you know, great teachers. So often they are working those sort of, as as, uh, Josh says here, unpaid hours doing those things and, um, 
and and really doing what oftentimes can be kind of a thankless mm-hmm. task, right, to make the uh, school year one great for the students who are they are in charge of. And it sounds like Christina is one of those great teachers, so we really appreciate that from Christina. Congratulations on being an outstanding teacher, courtesy of Kroger. And Josh Hood, thank you for being a nominator here. Josh is going to get a prize for making that nomination. Christina gets the great collection of gift cards, courtesy of our friends at Kroger. So that is all uh, just a really incredible thing. And congratulations to the Hoods there on all of that all right before we are done on the program here today we're gonna get a chance to look at georgia number one overall in the uh recently released coaches poll we've had a lot of unofficial way too early type polls but now we sort of reach the time of year in which the official polls are coming out and uh, georgia number one there on that but for now on everything as it relates to uh, georgia football uh including the ongoing uh camp fall camp taking place there in Athens and everything else. Let's get ready to dive into all of that. I'm going to tap dance here for a minute because we don't have uh, Connor ready to go. But uh, Connor Riley here coming up. We'll not only get into what's going down with UGA and its fall camp, we're also expected to hear from, speaking of Georgia assistant coaches, uh, Georgia coaches here over the course of the next few days. Uh, so Connor will help us preview all of that. And uh, we're going to get the latest on Georgia recruiting, too, after kind of a wild roller coaster of a weekend in terms of a commit that George did get. And by now, you know, a commit that George didn't get. So all of that on the way here. Uh, let's roll on here. Dog Nation Daily presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Good to have you with us here today. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. Say hello, Connor Riley here, Dog Nation Daily, presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. So, Connor, you know, we talk a little bit about some of the stuff ongoing with Georgia uh, fall camp as it kind of rolls on here. And I was just talking a moment ago, you know, listen, I'm obviously a Georgia fan. I am obviously someone who's seen the great success that Georgia's had the last couple of years. And I do believe they're going to win the national championship again here this year, too. But as you're kind of watching some of this, and I know you got a chance to see some of the practice last week, and you're going to kind of hear from these Georgia coaches and players over the course of the next few days there as well. No matter how good you think Georgia is, and no matter how likely you might think uh, another championship in 2023 is there as well, that doesn't mean that there aren't some questions to be answered by Georgia here this year. And I kind of half-kiddingly, half-seriously sort of talked about one of those a moment ago, which I do think that Todd Munkin leaves a huge shadow over this program. I just think he was an outstanding offensive coordinator, far better than anything that Georgia had had uh, under Kirby Smart prior to him getting here. And while I think that Bobo is likely a very capable replacement, I think that Munkin sets a very high bar here. And I don't know if there are many more significant preseason storylines for UGA other than that. Can they go out, especially in the biggest games, and, and, and have the kind of offensive success without Todd Munkin that they had with him? To me, that may rank as much as anything in terms of the importance scale for Georgia here this year. Right, and Kirby has said, you know, we're going to keep this offense as much of it similar as, you know, as it was a season ago under Todd Munkin with Mike Bobo coming in, and that's good and fine and all. But, you know, play design and getting players in space and game planning is really only half the battle. There is something to be said about calling a game and making adjustments on the fly and tweaking what you want to do before and after halftime, and Mike Bow is going to have to show that he, he can go out there and do that as well as Todd Munkin did. Uh, I think you and I have both been on a similar boat when it comes to Mike Bobo in terms of you know his ability as a Georgia offensive coordinator and the job we think he can do, but it, it's one thing to think that, and it's another to go out there and actually do it and, and do it as well as Todd Munkin did for Georgia. Again, you know, Mike this is a Georgia offense that in the three years that he was the offensive coordinator, Georgia never had a thousand yard rusher and, and it just never seemed to matter. Uh, Georgia always got the most out of its skill players. I think that was the biggest thing. And, and look, you know, Brock Bowers is one of the best players in the country. And I think Todd Munkin's uh, ability as a play caller and as a guy that could get the ball to Bowers in specific situations is a big part of that. I'm really interested in seeing how Mike Bobo goes out and uses Bowers this season because, while well, yes, you know Mike Bobo got good production out of tight ends in the past. Uh, Brock Bowers is a different beast, and you've got to find a way to feed him and put him in space and, and, and take advantage of what he is able to do. Brock Bowers is not just another piece of the offense. He is, in some ways, the offense. And so I'll be interested in seeing how, how Bobo gets the most out of him, how he gets the most out of a guy like Ladd McConkey, who is so much more than just a slot receiver. He's a guy who can do a lot of different things for you. There's a lot of talent on this offense, and I think you're right to point out 
why, yes, there, there can be belief in what Bobo can do with this offense. Uh, there are still, I think it's very fair to ask questions about what this is ultimately going to look like. You know, speaking of uh, Bowers, I thought it was really fun to see him on the Bolitnikoff Award watch list, which is obviously an unofficial designation. Every receiver in America, every pass catcher, I guess, is uh, eligible for the award. The watch list doesn't really mean very much. Most of our audience kind of understands that and, and knows that. But you'll talk about something fun, just kind of the evolution of him as a player to the point in which, you know, that's even the consideration here. And I think that, honestly, I think I might rather have him win the Bolitnikov than the Heisman. I, I think it'd just be one of those things that would just be so fun for UGA. And I don't know if this is like, you know, in like movies, Connor, you have to sort of nominate yourself or submit yourself as either a candidate for like, say, the supporting actor award or the best actor award. And you kind of make the choice that you want to make. I don't know that George needs to kind of like for your consideration, uh, Brock Bowers for the Bolitnikov award, but there's an element to which I'd rather him win the Bolitnikov award than almost anything happened this year, just because of how, you know, cool and deserving. I think that would be so, uh, it's nice to see in the last few weeks, I think have been an example of this. It is really nice for me to see Bowers finally start to get the attention that I believe that he deserves. And I guess this Bolitnikoff deal here, along with the Mackey, by the way. And at this point in time, I'm honestly done with the Mackey because they didn't even nominate him as a finalist in 2021. So at this point, I don't want to see him win the Mackey again. I want to see him win the Bolitnikoff. And I don't know that anyone's ever won, you know, uh, both those awards or whatever else. It's just kind of a fun conversation to be a part of. Yeah, it's sort of like, you know, Ryan Gosling in his performance in Barbie. Is he going to be, you know, lead actor or supporting actor? Because if he's supporting actor, like, we can go ahead and hand him the Oscar. Uh, and so I think with Brock, uh, like, look, I don't think it's out of the question for him to possibly end up in New York if he leaves Georgia in receiving again. He's the best player on the best team in the country, which if Georgia's number one at the end of the regular season and they win the SEC championship, He's probably going to be. Uh, there have been players invited to New York, I think, with lesser career credentials and lesser, you know, things that they've accomplished than Brock. And if he leaves Georgia in receiving again, and Georgia's number one heading into the college football playoff, he's a guy that I certainly think not just can, you know, win the Bolitnikoff, but be recognized at the Heisman Trophy ceremony. Now, like, can he win it? That is a totally different thing uh, to consider, you know. Uh, Devontae Smith did win it in the 2020 season, but uh, again, the numbers he put up that season are, are ridiculous, and, and we know Georgia's not going to run their offense through Brock the way I think Alabama did with Devontae in that season, and so it, it'll be tough for him to ultimately win the Heisman, which I think you're sort of right to point out there, but you know, like, look, Marvin Harrison is a fantastic player uh, at Ohio State. You know, Washington has some very talented wide receivers out there in the Pac-12, uh, but you know, pound for pound, if he's used properly and really maximized in the way that I think he can be, uh, I don't know that there's a better pass catcher in the country than Brock Bowers. Again, go back to his last game against TCU. Uh, Ten catches, 152 yards, and he did all that with playing essentially one drive into the third quarter. Uh, so, you know, when Georgia wants to use him and fully unleash him, uh, it's hard to stop him, and he's an incredibly fun player to watch, and I think if, if he's able to get through the season healthy, obviously, and do what he continues to do, uh, he could be racking up plenty of hardware, both the Mackey Award, which you don't much care for, and the uh, Bolitnikoff Award, which I think it would be really interesting to see a tight end ultimately win that. Connor, I thought that Lad McConkey and Arian Smith both had outstanding interviews last week, and I hope our audience will go find those in the Dog Nation YouTube page. I just thought they were really very good. And to me, it sort of speaks to kind of an interesting – maybe transition for Georgia offensively right now. And as I said off the top of our program, I do not believe that Georgia is going to become a wide receiver-led team because I don't think that would be a very good thing for Georgia. But I do believe that Georgia's wide receivers are in a position of leadership right now in a way that I don't think we've seen them be under Kirby Smart. Now, individually, you've had guys like Kiaris Jackson who are all-time great leaders, uh, of course. I'm not talking about individuals necessarily. I'm talking about the position group overall in terms of the way it sets the tone for the program. I thought the stuff from Ladd the other day was great. Uh, I thought that Arian Smith talking about his hunger to kind of go out for a full season and show what he can be all about. I think this is kind of an interesting evolution for that position group, and perhaps it kind of comes at a – time of need with I think you and I both kind of on the same page but a little bit of uncertainty right now for Georgia running back so the emergence of wide receivers perhaps coming at a good time here but I believe it's coming no matter what uh really strong stuff I thought from both Arian and Ladd two guys we heard from last week yeah there's a confidence in this wide receiver room that I don't think has been there in quite some time at, at Georgia certainly under Kirby Smart and I think a big part of that is just 
So again, you know, Arian Smith as it stands right now is healthy. Lad McConkey is feeling as good as he will going into a season there. Uh, Dominic Lovett continues to do great things by all accounts from what we've seen in her coming out of practice. Uh, you know, Marcus Rosemey Jackson is a trusted senior receiver that you have. Uh, you know, Dylan Bell. Uh, I'm telling you right now, I don't think he's going to be the fifth best receiver Georgia has over the course of the season. I think he's going to be closer to two or three by the time we get to the end of it in terms of what he is able to do there. And so it is not just a deep room. It is a bit of an older room where you have guys like Ladd, Arian, and Marcus all in their fourth seasons. You have guys who have been in this program for a while now. And again, I think you're right to point out, you know, this isn't going to be a program that's ever run through its wide receivers in the way, you know, Alabama or LSU in 2019 were. But uh, there is a confidence that this group now has because, let's be honest, that these guys went out there and made some huge plays last year, especially in that Ohio State game. They don't win that game without Arian Smith making the plays that he did. Uh, Lad McConkey was huge in games against LSU and in the national championship game against TCU. Uh, these guys have gone out and proven what they can do in big games, and I think they now know that and understand what needs to be done to get to that level. And they've taken that over into the offseason. They've had that confidence with them and now are bringing it into the 2023 football season. So to uh, change the topic here for a moment, this is going to be a fun week because we get a chance to really, for one of the very rare times, hear from some Georgia assistant coaches such as Glenn Schumann and, and others here. You know, I kind of talked a moment ago about some questions around the Georgia offense, and so Mike Bobo will certainly face some of that kind of stuff. But as you get a chance to talk to some of these assistant coaches in a time this week that you really don't get a chance to do again until you get to January, if all goes well for UGA, what do you think the big questions around some of these guys are right now? Yeah, I, I think with Glenn Schumann, I think we're really going to be interested in hearing, you know, why he elected to remain at Georgia. He was a guy who the Philadelphia Eagles made a big push for other programs have pushed to land before uh, and try and pry him for Georgia. And again, this is a guy, he's been in here as long as Kirby Smart has. You know, Why has he sort of stuck around and, and what is his ultimate future here? I think there are a lot of people interested in hearing what he has to say about that. And sure, you know, we'll, we'll touch on you know, the defensive line, the inside linebackers. We're not, I believe, going to end up hearing from Will Muschamp this week, so I think that'll curtail some of the secondary questions, at least when it comes to the defensive backs in the room. Uh, I believe this is the first time from a UGA's perspective that we get to hear from Todd Hartley. Now, we've talked to him at sort of those bowl game uh, scenarios, but in terms of him standing at the lectern at the University of Georgia, it's the first time to hear from him. Uh, he is a joy to talk to. Uh, he's going to have a lot of interesting things to say. Obviously, he'll get asked about Brock a whole lot. But I, I think he's a guy that Georgia fans should be excited to hear from, given he is an alum. He is someone that cares deeply about this program and is, in my opinion, one of the best position coaches in the country, not just in terms of his ability to go out and recruit, but his ability to go out and develop and turn players into the best versions of themselves. And then later in the week, we'll hear from Mike Bobo, who I, I think just in general has a lot of questions. Uh, you know, and, and that's always the case when there's an offensive coordinator on top of the fact that there is a quarterback battle ongoing. And, and so to hear from him on that, I think, you know, you can talk about Carson Beck, you can talk about Brock Vandergriff, you can talk about, as you point out, taking over for Todd Munkin. I think when Bobo steps to speak up on Thursday, there are just a lot of different areas that George is going to be able to go in that and, 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 and have a lot of questions that, quite frankly, not all are going to be answered on that first day. We're going to have to see some things over the course of the season. But, uh, yeah, for, for a reporter who doesn't get to talk to these guys till the end of December, till after Christmas, really, uh, it, it's a big week, and we're going to try and get as many questions as we can and, and hopefully – get some answers as far as how things are looking, not just for the 2023 season, but how the Georgia football program operates as a whole. I want to uh, do one final thing before we let you go. Obviously, Georgia got some good news with Nate Frazier. We've had a chance to talk about that a good bit, but it seems like the lingering story is what happened to K.J. Bolden choosing Florida State. I, I told our audience this yesterday. I'll repeat it here right now and kind of give you a chance to reply. Um, I don't know ultimately how it all plays out with Bolden, but I am quite confident that Saturday night is not the last time we hear about Georgia and its involvement with K.J. Bolden's recruitment. I just believe that Georgia's very unlikely to give up on all of this. You know, the notion that Georgia hosted him on 16 visits, that Kirby Smart took a lead in this recruitment, that suddenly Georgia's going to now wave the white flag just because of a non-binding decision on streaming video on a Saturday night. I just don't think that's the way this works at all. 
you know, obviously we kind of know what maybe tipped the scales and the balance of Florida State. I think that can be, you know, uh, kind of a complicated subject moving forward in terms of now the Seminoles need to go ahead and make good on the promise they made. We'll see if they're able to do that, and we'll just kind of see what's next with Bolden here. Ultimately, he may very well end up at Florida State. Obviously, the commitment suggests that he might. Seminoles fans think that he will. I saw KJ yesterday. He gave the the chop gesture when he was announced as a part of the uh, Corky Kale Dave Hunter Classic uh, luncheon that I was a part of. So I don't have any tangible reason to believe that Bolden won't go to Florida State, but I have a lot of, uh, let's call it circumstantial reason to believe that Georgia's going to still be involved in the Bolden recruitment down to the wire here and that, you know, Georgia Bolden in the same story before December. My guess is we read that a couple of times. Do you agree? Yeah, I think Kirby's going to go John Rambo, and you know nothing is over when it comes to recruiting until those guys officially sign. And if you look at the way things are shaping up with Georgia in this defensive back class, yeah, they feel great about with what they have in a cornerback and Austin Robinson, Demello Jones there. But safety, you know, a few months ago where it looked like KJ was trending to Georgia, you had Peyton Woodyard. Uh, firmly committed. You had Jalen Hayward. Hayward is already decommitted. It sounds like Woodyard may be on his way out as well. And so safety very quickly becomes a position where, again, you don't need to load up like Georgia had earlier in this cycle, given what you have. And guys like Malachi Starks, Janelle Aguero, it sounds like Justin Rett is having a very good start to his Georgia career there. But you do need some guys in this class and a potential difference maker like K.J. Bolden being just down the road in Buford, having Dylan Rayola as a teammate there who, look, I, I know some people might, be, might not be happy right now with the fact that that Bolden, a Buford project, prospect chose to go play for Florida State, uh, Georgia is going to continue to push and continue to try and, and, and be in this race for Bolden. Bolden ultimately ends up going to Florida State, which I think is certainly a, a possibility here. There are just some things that you know can be overcome. You tip your cap and say there, but you know, to think that, oh, well, you know, Georgia's lost out on the K.J. Bolden recruitment because he made a decision in August. Uh, you know, things can change, and you know, let's, let's say a, there's a world with Florida State Go seven and five this season and struggles and loses some of the momentum that they had coming out of the 2022 season. You know, maybe that forces Bolden to change things and look at things once again uh, because it's clear that Georgia can continue to win on a year in year out basis. And for as much as Mike Norvell has done in terms of flipping that Florida State program, he's still only 18 and 16 in his time there at Florida State and is not exactly in the same stratosphere that Kirby Smart is as a head coach. Uh, good stuff, Connor. We appreciate your time here today. We'll look forward to reading a lot from you there online at dognation.com as these Georgia assistant coaches meet with reporters. Practice rolls on. I thought your practice report last week was outstanding. Really fun nuggets on both Marvin Jones Jr., who I've been very high on, Dominic Lovett, who I've been similarly anticipating uh, getting the chance to see. Really good stuff there. Uh, I've jokingly said that I am, would not be good at practice reports. Like I'm, I'm out there, thousand things happening at once, and you know it's – not always easy for my ADHD to kind of keep up with some of that kind of stuff, but uh, you do that really well. So when you write one, it is certainly worth reading. We appreciate you putting that out there. Yep, we'll have another one later today as we do get a chance to Fun. watch practice today. So looking forward to that. Good stuff, Connor. We'll talk to you then. Yep, as always, it was a pleasure. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. All right, good stuff with Connor Riley there. And as I said before, you know, I think everybody's got talents. Hopefully I have one. Um, but, you know, Connor clearly does, and that ability to kind of be out there at practice, observe what's going on, and then present that information in a digestible form, right? And so that's why we love practice report season as it is, S-Z-N. Uh, we, li- we like that in general. And we think that uh, Connor does a really good job with that. So stay close to dognation.com, free of charge. We're reading a terrific practice report from Connor Riley coming later on today here at dognation.com. Well worth your time. I believe that it is. Something else that's well worth your time as well, although admittedly not free of charge, is the Dog Nation Cruise coming up in April of 2024. In fact, that's a great segue for us to cruise around the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean today. And by now, you know we are bigger and better than we've ever been in the past for the April 2024 version of the Dog Nation Cruise because we're going to be on board one of those Oasis-class ships. It's called Allure of the Seas, and it's right now the largest class of ships currently at sea. And this April, you get a chance to experience the biggest and the best of all of it, April 22nd through the 26th. And what makes the Oasis-class ship so special is you have the various neighborhoods. There's like a Central Park neighborhood. It's literally like you're walking through 
almost like a downtown city park type thing with real growing foliage and restaurants and bars and things like that. It's like you're in a city somewhere, except you're on a ship floating on the sea, which is amazing. The Boardwalk neighborhood kind of functions the same way. Obviously, the Royal Promenade, which is kind of you know something we've grown to, to love over the years there as well. But so many of those kinds of things on board uh, Allure of the Seas is one of the reasons why you want to be there and be a part of it. As we leave out of Port Canaveral, going to Nassau on the Bahamas, going to Perfect Day Coco Cay, uh, and doing even more tremendously themed dog nation events we've ever done in the past royaldogs.com the website to go to find out about all of that all right let's talk coaches bowl here for a moment because as i said a little early in the show we've kind of transitioned away from way too early top 25 or kind of unofficial hot list or whatever else that's you know kind of being shared by people who sort of talk about this stuff for a living now we're getting down to the official stuff and admittedly i sort of like the ap poll better than the uh, coaches poll i think the ap poll probably has a little bit more long-term utility than the coaches poll does but the coaches poll kind of always comes out first it's always really fun i believe we have some of this to show you here so uh this coming from 24 7 sports uh they're just graphic we stole it uh the uh, top 25 uh but they have credit on the screen of course uh the top 25 uh coaches poll here for this upcoming year no surprise you got georgia at number one then you go Michigan number two, and the question you would ask is, how could mighty Michigan not be number two, just given all the hype that they've gotten here as of late, including from Colin Cowherd yesterday? Alabama at three, Ohio State at four, then you get to LSU at five. Let me park on the top five here for a moment and kind of dive in a little deeper on this. That Georgia got 61 first-place votes, as they probably should. Michigan did not actually get any first-place votes, despite having enough total voting points to get to number two. Bama got four uh, number one votes, Ohio State got one. Uh, admittedly, I don't know this. I think it's an interesting question. Like, how is this the you know the fewest number one votes to go to a non-number one team? Only a total of five votes going to anyone else other than George. I'm sure there have been years in which the disparity has been pretty close to that. But you know, not only is Georgia number one, but it's number one by a just you know monumental margin here, which is interesting because it does not reflect what the overall chatter has been. The overall chatter has been. You know, Kirk Curb Street in Alabama, Reese Davis in Michigan, you know, national writers doing this and that uh, about the Wolverines. But the actual voting, a little bit like the gambling odds, uh, actually overwhelmingly favored Georgia. And this is a little bit of a snapshot like it was prior to Georgia, you know, facing Tennessee, which is, you know, Georgia was a very big point spread favorite in that game. And no matter how much was said about the Vols, that point spread did not really move very much in the direction of Tennessee uh, prior to that kickoff. You know, the folks that put their money where their mouth was, or in this case, the pollsters, putting their you know money where the reputation is, uh, you know, clearly showing deference to the uh, number one overall team, Georgia. But it's the sort of cheap and easy hot take that seems to kind of go in the direction of Ohio State or, or Alabama or, or Michigan. Just kind of an interesting kind of thing to keep in mind there. Now, there are a couple of sort of side-by-side -side comparisons, which I do think are pretty interesting. On the one hand, it seems like the coaches probably get it right, ranking Michigan ahead of Ohio State. If I'm going to say, which I've said many times before, of what has changed for Georgia and Michigan to make you think that Michigan has suddenly overtaken Georgia, we don't think there's a whole lot of tangible evidence to suggest that is going to happen. doesn't mean it can't happen, but predicting to happen requires some sort of evidence, and we don't really see an overwhelming reason why Michigan has risen up and Georgia has diminished itself down, and that's why we're comfortable putting Georgia ahead of Michigan. But if you're going to say that about Georgia in comparison to Michigan, you are also fair to say that about Michigan for the positive in comparison to Ohio State. And it seems like the coaches probably get that right. you got Michigan at two, Ohio State at four. Michigan's beaten Ohio State the last two years. The onus is on Ohio State to prove they're better than Michigan, and until they do, ranking Michigan ahead of Ohio State just sort of seems like the right thing to do. So from that standpoint, the coaches who vote in this poll seem to have gotten it right. But if you're using that as your logic, there are a couple of other interesting sort of, I don't know, curiosities here, right? How come Alabama's ranked ahead of LSU? And I mean this. I mean this, like, legitimately. I mean this, uh, uh, you know, matter-of-factly. What has Alabama done? What does Alabama have that makes you think this year's result between these two teams will be better and different for the Crimson Tide than last year's result was? And you say, well, the game's in Tuscaloosa. Yes, it is. But is that enough to put Alabama ahead of LSU here right now? And it kind of furthers what has been for us another one of these ongoing conversations of, is LSU a media darling or are they overlooked? I think 
finally and once and for all, we can say that LSU, I believe, is undervalued by the market because they beat Alabama a year ago. Now, they didn't look very good in losing games like Tennessee, admittedly so. A little bit of a a slop fest in the uh, season opener against Florida State. But when it mattered, LSU was good against the very best team they would be measured against in the SEC West. We just simply think it's wrong to rank Alabama over LSU. Doesn't mean the Crimson Tide couldn't overtake the Tigers in the SEC West in the final year of that division. But right now, just on the basis of the sort of typical logic that ought to inform how you vote in polls like this, we believe LSU should be ranked ahead of Alabama. By the way, the same thing's true in the uh, ACC there as well. How come Florida State's ranked ahead of Clemson? Now, you've heard a lot of Florida State hype here over the course of the last 48 hours, but you could be forgiven if, on the basis of that hype, you didn't realize Florida State actually hadn't beaten Clemson in like seven years. Um, and Florida State's, if you care about like blue chip ratio, which is the percentage of former four- and five-star players on a roster, Florida State's blue chip number is like 35%. And I know that Clemson wasn't very good offensively last year, but that's what – uh, uh, Garrett Riley was hired to try to fix. But nonetheless, if you're a Clemson fan, you're like, all we've done is beat Florida State for forever. All of a sudden, now the coaches rank them ahead of us. What's that about? Uh, I think it's a fair question to answer. A fair question to ask. So, this is what polls are fun for, right? I mean, we don't we don't live in the BCS era anymore. These polls don't have a whole lot of tangible value. But in terms of looking at the kind of absent logic that drives a lot of the college football conversation even among the supposed most educated folks within the sport these preseason polls go a long way towards uh accentuating some of that so uh, keep that in mind there we have a commitment date now for chris cole four-star linebacker out of the uh, state of virginia he's getting ready to make his pledge and make his announcement uh, our friends over at on three uh and hayes foster that's a that's a really cool edit by the way uh you get the nice uh cold sort of winter motif sort of looks like hoth a little bit september 10th for uh, 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 Cole making his announcement there. So a little later than some of these guys are uh, getting ready to go, and we'll see you know, what kind of spot Georgia's in come September 10th when Cole gets ready to make his announcement. Of course, Georgia won with a four-star linebacker out of Virginia the other day, and now Cole uh, set to make his announcement coming up on September 10th. So uh, kind of keep that in uh, mind there. Of course, the top six not only includes Georgia, but also Virginia Tech and USC and Miami and Tennessee and Penn State. So watch that uh, as it relates to uh, Chris Cole. And then finally, there was some chatter coming out of Baton Rouge yesterday about a fight taking place at LSU practice. Apparently, uh, Harold Perkins kind of got mixed up in this. He was, I guess, kicked out of practice, something like that. Uh, Brian Kelly supposedly wasn't too happy about it. Uh, uh, yeah, so let, let me read the uh, story here, too. May, supposedly a major fight today at LSU practice. I, <laughs> I didn't see it, so I'm not ready to say what was major and what wasn't. Major is Tim Anderson from the uh, White Sox getting <laughs> – getting knocked out at second base or whatever it was that happened in Montgomery, Alabama over the weekend. That's a major fight. I'm not quite so – I'd need to see the LSU fight to judge if it was a major fight or not. Uh, guys involved, according to recruits CFB, recruits underscore CFB. Let me make sure I give them full credit. Uh, Harold Perkins and then Denver Harris, who transferred in from uh, Texas A&M. So in a previous life, I used to go to NFL training camp a pretty good bit um, with the Falcons. They get in fights all the time. It's hot. Y'all, it's hot. Um, football players fight when it's hot. They just do. Uh, so, I mean, if, if you're Brian Kelly, maybe it's the wrong kind of fight. Maybe you don't like that. If guys have helmets on, I don't know there's anything that rises to the level of major fight. Now, there's some video of this somewhere, then maybe I need to see it. Maybe we can judge <laughs> if this is a major fight or not. I mean, in this day and age, if someone's not jumping off a riverboat and swimming to shore, I don't know that anything is going to be counted as a major fight anymore. But, um, uh, but supposedly there was a major fight there at LSU. Uh, generally speaking, I have a fairly high tolerance for training camp fights, uh, fall camp fights. When it's hot and guys are doing drill and all their drills and all they're doing is kind of like going up against their own teammates for weeks and you know darn near two months. Uh, there's just gonna be there's gonna be some bad moods. There's gonna be some honoriness. I don't make too much of that, but I guess uh, LSU got in a little bit of a fight yesterday. So there you go. On that, we'll make that cruise around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. Now, here's something I know that you're not gonna want to fight about. Here's something I think that's gonna get you really excited because there's a lot of really fun stuff coming up in the Atlanta area as we kind of roll through that fall time of the year. Many of you who don't live like we do here in the Atlanta area are making your plans to come to Atlanta, including hopefully in December for the SEC Championship, but many of you before then there as well. So when you have events and things like that that bring you to Atlanta, and for a lot of you it's like cheerleading competitions, and there's just all kinds of stuff always going on in Atlanta, right? That just always is going on. Well, sometimes, you know, either 
downtown is not a convenient place to stay. You just don't want to stay there for whatever reason. You want to be somewhere else. That's why I want you to keep my friends here in the Dunwoody area in mind. Discover Dunwoody is something you've probably heard me talk about here before. Our actual Dog Nation World Headquarters studios are kind of right here in this sort of Dunwoody, Sandy Springs area, kind of right in between the Dunwoody Marta Station and the Sandy Springs Marta Station. And this area that we're kind of in uh, is a really wonderful place for you to come and stay when you've got plans here in the Atlanta area because both of those Marta stations give you a chance to be in Buckhead or downtown or Midtown, wherever you want to be, very, very quickly and easily, perhaps from a cost standpoint, even more efficiently and better than where you might uh, uh, be if you're staying somewhere else, having to deal with all kinds of other challenges that, uh, that go along with that too. Plus, right here in the Dunwoody area there as well, there's also really great stuff there as well. Great restaurants, shopping opportunities there too. Uh, you got more than 2,100 different hotel rooms stretched across nine different hotels around here. More than 200 restaurants. And that's like everything from like the kind of cool new kind of concept you know, farm to table, things like that. Or if you want, you know, fine dining options, or if you just want something quick and enjoyable, uh, quick service that tastes really good, you can kind of get that too. You want shopping experiences. There's all kinds of stores, more than 300 places uh, you can shop there as well. So I want you to check this out online, discoverdunwoody.com slash dog nation. That's discoverdunwoody.com slash dog nation. And really find out when you're thinking about Atlanta as a destination, Dunwoody is something you ought to discover in terms of where you want to stay to make that Atlanta trip so much more fun for you. Great access to all things going on in Atlanta through two different Marta stations, restaurants, shopping, a uh, really fun family-oriented place to stay right here in the Dunwoody area. Check them out online, discoverdunwoody.com slash dognation for a lot more on that. So today is a very special day for one of our Dog Nation folks here, and I want to make sure that we give credit where credit is due here on this. Today is our good friend Kaylee Mansell's birthday. Now, you want to talk about how it started, how it's going? Take a look at this here from uh, Kaylee. The picture on the right, this is Kaylee just the other day participating in uh, the great Dog Nation happy hour with our friends at Marlowe's Tavern. Uh, and then going back all those years ago, how about the Georgia cheerleading outfit? How about Kaylee with the short hair? Uh, still the same great smile. And so we wish Kaylee Mansell a happy birthday here today. And I'm certain I'll get... All kinds of grief from her from showing the old picture. But I had a little help in uh, putting that together. So uh, a great look at Kaylee Manziel through the years and a great part of our Dog Nation team. So Kaylee, golden shoe to you and a happy birthday to you indeed as you uh, celebrate here today. And one of the things that Kaylee would love for me to say is those lousy, stinking gators. Georgia back in Jacksonville coming up 81 days from right now. That is our Gator Hater Countdown. We will see all of you tomorrow. Dog Nation Daily, presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia.